This podcast is brought to you by Gundog Outdoors and Dakota 283 Kennels. Hi, hunters. Thank you for tuning into the Flushman Dustin podcast brought to you by Nick and Tyler, the boys from Ringnecks and Retrievers. In this podcast, we will talk about guns, dogs, gear, and our successes and failures in the field through our combined 40 years of experience. We speak with hunters just like you from across the nation about their days in the field and the many memories they built with their friends and family. We are excited to have you listen. Now let's get to Flushing and Dustin. Welcome hunters back to another Flushman Dustin podcast. We have Eric Peterson from Montana here tonight. Um, we're going to talk to him a little bit about upland hunting, Montana birds, um, and everything in between. Eric, why don't you give us a little bit of your background, and then we're going to start off uh, after that uh, by you giving us a couple of your favorite hunts. Sure. Thanks for having me on, guys. This is uh, fun to do. My name is Eric Peterson. I'm a photographer and filmmaker based in Livingston, Montana, Southwest Montana. Uh, I've been out here for about 20 years now. Uh, my passion is upland hunting, bird dogs, and getting my kids out in the field. So that's kind of what, how my fall is spent. Usually trying to get my kids uh, onto birds or whatever it is we're chasing at any given moment. Awesome. How old, uh, how old are your kids? Kids are 11 and 12, two boys, 11 and 12 now. So they're oh. just getting to that prime age of being able yeah. to go hunting. They've done the apprentice program here in Montana the past couple of years. So kind of tagging along with me and learning the ropes. And now they're just uh, just getting getting out there and doing it for themselves now, which is super fun. fun yeah, that's got to gotta be super that's ex- exciting. That's exciting. Yeah, I have, uh, I have two girls, a uh, lot younger. So one's two and the other one's four months. But I'm excited for them to hopefully get up there and get them out in the outdoors as well uh, in the next you know 10 years I guess it would be <laughs> so. yeah it's so much fun it takes takes the hunting to a whole new level when you get to bring the kids along yeah oh, definitely before we get into uh one of your stories what's you know there's a, a lot of fathers that probably listen to this and whatnot what's something that you think has helped you introduce pheasant hunting to your kids and help what's helped them enjoy it uh, a strong snack game <laughs> that's funny we had a guy on here uh a few weeks back nate strickler he's been on a few times and he said he takes uh kids to the field as well and he's like man you gotta have the best snacks in the truck <laughs> like true. it'll turn the day around it's true you that's can funny. you can uh, stretch the day a lot longer if you've got a good snack game in the truck going <laughs> and that's how it was like i've been taking them to northern montana on our annual boys trip for probably five years now and of course so that they were like five and six years old when we started that so it ended up being a lot of driving around in the truck watch me watching the roosters run across the road wishing I could get out after them them you know tired already tired legs uh wanting to just go for a little more drive and eat a few more donuts or whatever so it was like trying to strike that balance between uh making it fun getting them into the sport but also scratching my own itch to shoot a bird or two <laughs> oh absolutely so, so all right man tell us about a couple of your uh, your favorite stories and then we'll go from there sure um i'll go with the most recent as one of my favorites i took my 12 year old henry out to eastern montana last weekend uh met my dad who lives in minnesota we met kind of halfway and uh to chase turkeys henry had the only thing he had shot prior to this trip was a couple upland birds so 
uh, it was, he's just getting into it, wanting to deer hunt this year. So it was kind of the first stepping stone. He, he made his own little checklist for what he wanted to get this, this uh, year and Turkey was on that list. So we went out with high hopes, uh, met my dad, who's a super avid hunter. He already had a blind set up, kind of had us dialed in. Um, so Henry went out with him the first night, sat in the blind and, and called some turkeys in. Henry got a shot, missed. The turkeys got scrambled, kind of ran around. Some jakes were going back and forth. Got another shot, missed, and finally on the third shot, dumped it. Dumped the jake. Oh so man, he was. That's awesome. Dad followed up with his own with a nice tom right after that. So they doubled that night, and then the second night, I went out in the blind because you can get uh, two turkeys in that area. I went out and sat in the blind with Henry. And we had another group come in. He he was from the night before. He was a little bit bummed that he missed because he's real. He really wants to be accurate with the gun. So he was a little bit let down that he missed, but he was excited. He and I were in the blind. We sat for a couple hours, giggling, eating eating snacks, waiting. Finally, some turkeys showed up. Uh, it was a rigmarole because we were facing the wrong way. So we had to get everything turned around. The the monopod the chairs in the blind it was like tommy boy fat guy in a little suit trying to get <laughs> spun around in that blind <laughs> finally got moved around by that time the turkeys had a pretty good idea that something was going on with that shaking camel blind but there you know the taunt the uh, jakes came over that direction anyway because we had some decoys set up and i was trying to get henry lined up and he was trying to pick out a bird and finally i said just wait for one to get all by itself and shoot it in the head and so he did and he dropped it first shot. So he was nice. Pumped. And as soon as that one went down, one of the mature Tom saw it struggling, came running over. So I grabbed <laughs> the 20 gauge from Henry because my gun was on the other side of the blind, way out of reach after all that. Uh, grabbed the 20 gauge from Henry and I dumped the Tom that came over to fight the, the oh, dying Jake. Cool. So we doubled up that night too. So that Man, was a what a home. memory. What a memory. Yeah. Couldn't have gone any better. Is he, uh... Is Henry uh, so now he's hooked? Obviously, he's hooked. He's pumped. Ready, yeah, he's, he's ready, ready to for go. Deer. Ready to go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Say, yeah. What's he? What's he ready for next? Yeah, he wants to get a deer next. So, nice. has he got any type next. of deer? Like, does he want a buck? Is he looking for a doe? What's he said. He said a doe because he didn't want to set his expectation too high. And I said, I mean, we could probably find a buck, buddy, if we try hard enough. So, I think he'd be happy with anything at this point. Yeah, you see some of those young kids. They, you know, they shoot a, you know. 200 class deer boone and crockett and <laughs> like what are you gonna look forward to the rest, yeah. rest of your life because yeah. every that, that's a one in a lifetime deer you know that's rare for uh, you to get those yeah that bar set pretty high early on it i'd much rather start out with a spike and gradually make my way up with the kids oh for no sure. kidding for yeah. sure another highlight hunt was last year also with the kids i had both boys along henry was trying had had wanted all season to get a pheasant was trying to get a pheasant and that man that is so hard wing shooting is so hard for kids i mean wing shooting is so hard for me period i agree and then, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's hard for kids uh you know and he's shooting a he was shooting a 20 gauge so it's whatever uh it's just tricky for everything to come together and to have the kid in the right place and the dog in the right place and everything being safe and then i've got kid number two tagging along too so i got to keep him out of the way so it's like this mental gymnastics trying to get it all to come together 
so we had tried and he had missed and we had tried and uh, things hadn't worked out time and time again. He was getting a little frustrated. And finally we had a situation where the dog, I've got a poodle pointer and a German short hair. So the poodle pointer is six now. So he, he was five then he went on point in this kind of, he was tracking and tracking and tracking through this thick low brush. And I kept Henry up on the trail kind of up above. And I was going through the thick brush staying with the dog and, and it came to a gully and Gus, my poodle pointer kept, circling around trying to get into that deep gully. So I knew exactly where the bird was. And I got Henry situated right at the top of that gully and Gus finally got into that gully to where he could get in after the bird and pointed and I released him and the bird, I mean, it couldn't, it worked out so perfectly for a kid because the bird came straight up in the air. Oh, nice. It was kind of surrounded by trees and in the gully, came straight up in the air and hung for just long enough where he got his gun up. I got my gun up. And he shot and I shot and I'm, I you mean, it, I told you? him he nailed it. it. <laughs> <laughs> Way to go, Henry. You Nick, don't you have thing. some sort of story like that? <laughs> yeah, so uh, uh, back when I was, oh, I don't know, it was high school-ish, maybe college. But my, my dad, my uncle, my cousin, and I, we'd always, for years, we went to pheasant farms. And that's just what we did every year. We do it a couple times. Yeah. Well, my cousin... I'm 34. He's 22. So he's quite a bit younger than me. He's 10, 12 years younger than me. Um, well, anyway, we're doing this and he could never get a bird and, you know, it's on a farm, could never get a bird. Well, finally we could tell, I believe it was my dog Jackson was on a bird and I was like, Hey, he's birdie. Your bird's going to get up. So my uncle Steve is sitting there, Ben, get ready. We're going to kick it up. But my uncle Steve's there. Ben shoots, Steve shoots, bird drops, you could tell Ben never hit the bird. He's like, good shot, Ben. Good shot. And we all kind of look at him. And I was like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I don't Just know building if that confidence. A, yeah, I don't know if he's yeah. ever gotten a bird before uh, at all, honestly. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of funny. Oh, it's such hilarious. a mental game. It's such a mental game. I think wing shooting it is. And it's such a mental game in general that it's like if you can build that confidence, both – and I'm the same way. If I get a couple hits, my confidence skyrockets. I shoot way better. And it's like, if I can get him one hit where he feels like he got it, I know he's going to perform better. I know he's yep. going to shoulder the gun better, have more confidence, all that. So it was super Tyler's fun. That, and Tyler's that same way, but he I just am. could never get that first hit. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> this is straight downhill. Like in a if, you know, if you know me, uh, I don't really lose confidence really at all so <laughs> I, just, uh, I could miss I one hunted, but i'm gonna i'm gonna hit that next bird i can tell you that <laughs> i hunted with a guy in south dakota last fall who is not a pheasant hunter does a little bit of like once a year kind of hunter and his take was the more i get to shoot the more fun i'm having like it's more bang for your buck I'm just going to throw lead out there because that's why I showed up in the field today. So I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> if you're a bad yeah. shot, that's not a bad way to approach it. <laughs> True. Yeah, it's not. It's not. <laughs> Until the price of shells just gets too high. <laughs> right. Until you keep yeah, now they're shells. Now they're super high, right? It's if like, you oh, can find them, right? 50%. Is that what I heard? Yeah. It's... I know Winchester and Browning just put a thing out that they were jumping prices 25%. That was, that was about a month ago I saw. Or 20%. Like that, so. yeah, it's a bummer. You can't afford to miss. <laughs> I know. Yeah. So, uh, That's so what Eric what... doesn't shoot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I just see it get up and I'm like, ah, next time. 
next yeah. time. <laughs> but uh, so what got you into uh, what got you into pheasant hunting and running with uh, poodle pointers and GSPs? Um, so I'm the son of a lifelong passionate hunter. My dad's always hunted. He's always I've, he had four boys that were always tagging along with him in the field. So that's just what we did. In the fall, we always hunted. He was more of, he is more of a big game hunter. Um, I started work for a, a dog trainer in high school who trained primarily black lab, or labs, uh, retrievers. So I worked for him for four years, got my first dog from him, which was a black lab. Um, waterfowl hunted quite a bit in Minnesota where I grew up. And then when I graduated college, I moved out to Montana and, and uh, quickly realized that the game here was upland. And if you're gonna upland hunt, you need a dog that can cover some ground because it's big country. So I got a short hair after my black lab died. Um, and then it was just, you know, once I went down the pointing dog hole, I never, never came back out. I had that short hair. Um, some friends of mine, after my short hair died, some friends of mine who had had got poodle pointers and really liked them as kind of a, uh, almost like an in-between of a lab and a pointing dog. You know, they're more versatile. They're, they tend to be better retrievers. Um, so I just wanted to try something new and I've had a lot of fun with the poodle pointer. And then just last year I got a short hair puppy. So now I've got a six-year-old and a, and a one-year-old. Um, and it's, man, that's so much fun just to watch them run in the big, big fields in Montana. Yeah. What is oh, it hunting like out in Montana? I mean, is it, is it pretty hilly? I guess I don't, I'm not really it's a familiar big, with the it's landscape. A, yeah, it's all over the board. I mean, it's, um, it tends to be more, certainly for upland other than pheasant, it's more hilly, rugged terrain. If you're hunting sharp tails or huns, it tends to be, you know, breaky country or hilly country. Uh, pheasant, it can be anything. We have cattail sloughs out here. You can find them in. We have uh, brushy draws in the hilly country you can find them in so they're kind of they can be found in all sorts of different country was it i mean when you when you get out to a field are they pretty big you know in iowa we don't have i wouldn't say you know like large tracts of land i mean you get you know if you're looking at public ground you're getting maybe maybe i think one of the biggest fields that I've been to is three, 400 acres, you know, which I don't know if that compares to Montana um, or if Montana is much bigger than that. Um, yeah, here. I think it tends to be bigger. Um, there's not a lot of corn out here. There's, there's some in the Northeast corner of the state. Yeah. So the, the style of hunting is quite a bit different. Um, you know, there's not, we're not hunting corn rows or block and push kind of tactics. It's more just, uh, following your dog through wild country really which is yeah. which is part of the draw for me I'd never really done much um, midwest style pheasant hunting until last year when I went to South Dakota and um, you know there's a mix there of course too just like Minnesota yeah. Iowa anywhere else you can hunt cornfields or you can hunt brushy draws or whatever but I certainly like country big wild feel of Montana pheasant hunting, um, but I'm partial. I live here. <laughs> you got to worry about uh, predators up there, Eric, when you're hunting like that. I'm just curious, wolf or I don't know, anything like that. Um, 
I've had coyotes. I've had coyotes fall, uh, chase the bird dogs. Oh wow! To where I've had to fire a shot um, to scare them off. Really, snakes are the biggest thing, though. In September, uh, when it's still warm, that's that's kind of the. You have rattlesnakes or what type of snakes? rattlesnakes? Yeah, prairie rattlers, and they can oh. be obviously destructive for a bird dog. So, yeah, um, I tend to hunt mountain grouse in September as opposed to you know sharptail or huns just because the snakes aren't up that high you can find birds and not have to worry about snakes as much yep. yeah do you any do you do any special training with your dogs for snakes or is there... i have a friend of mine is a, a breeder and trainer and he he gets a couple snakes every summer and um offers snake training so i've done oh, that wow. with both dogs what is can you what give us kind of stuff? a rundown yeah. of what that is i've never really looked into yeah it he get um there's people that that find snake dens around here and and capture rattlesnakes for what you know for dog training or for i don't know what all they use them for to be honest <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i wouldn't want to keep one <laughs> i don't i don't have any interest in getting close to myself so anyway he he usually gets a handful of them he'll put them in a in a metal um cage almost like a metal dog crate but a smaller version so their smell can dissipate around the area um, and their sound can as well. And then what he does is he leads the dog up until they obviously hit the scent cone of the snake. And when they show the, you know, show a sign of smelling it, he'll hit them with the e-collar. Um, if they, if that's it, if they back off, then it's pretty much good. He'll go crate them, give them 10, 15 minutes and do it again. And generally that's enough. If they're aggressive or gamey dogs where they're going to, you know, go after whatever it is um, and that doesn't work, then then he'll get them even closer and, and hit them at a higher level. So it's just, you know, e-collar training, um, showing them that any scent or sound or sight of that snake is going to result in a negative enforcement. Do you, do you have your dogs e-collar trained, Eric? I'm sorry? Do you have your dogs uh, e-collar trained? I do, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And what, what does your training yeah. consist of? Do you take them somewhere? Are you training yourself? Most of my training is on wild birds. I mean, what my, generally, I'll start puppies out on pigeons in the field in controlled environments with a pigeon launcher just to um, reinforce woe or to get them, not even reinforce woe early on, it's just to get them uh, using their nose and figuring out, you know, that's how the scent works and what it all means, putting the pieces together. So I'll use pigeons for the first few months. Um, and then come like August, I just try and get out in the field as much as I can and get them on, on wild birds at a young age. My goal in their first year is always just to hunt as much as I possibly can, nope. get them on as many wild birds as I possibly can. Cause every single one of those contacts with a wild bird, they're learning something, their brains, their light bulbs coming on, they're figuring out the game. You know, one thing that we've done is uh, early pups and early on we go to uh, pheasant farms. So we, we do pay for them. Yeah. But I found that to be really beneficial. Um, <clears throat> a couple of years back, well, actually every year, we've gone to a field that's heavily populated in wild birds. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think it helps having all that scent in those preserves. It seems like our dogs are able to lock down that scent cone mm. a lot quicker and a lot easier than maybe some dogs that are just strictly in wild birds and, and i don't know if there's any truth to that or not but yeah. it's just kind of something that we've seen um last couple of years 
it's kind of like, oh, I wonder, I wonder if that has anything to do with them being able to do this when there's so many birds around. Yeah, I'm sure it doesn't hurt. Is there, uh, how old's your uh, short hair again? That was his first one. year last Just year? Just turned one, yeah, Just so that was one. his first season. Nice. Is there a big difference? And maybe you didn't notice it um, just because it was first year and being younger, but is there a big difference or do you think there's going to be a big difference in the way that your GSP and your poodle pointer hunt, I guess, what's their names? We haven't even. Yeah. The poodle pointer is Gus. The short hair is Zeke. Zeke. Um, That's a cool name. Thanks. The, I mean, one of the biggest differences I see is when the poodle pointer gets birdie, he tends to slow down. Whereas when the short hairs get birdie, they tend to speed up. Um, the poodle pointer just generally works. Yeah. Um, so for pheasants, he's kind of ideal because he's in that thicker cover. He's slowing down and working more methodically. Yeah. Uh, for short hair or for uh, sharp tail and huns, the short hair is money because they cover ground, and that's what you need to do with those birds. Do those do those poodle pointers? stay pretty close uh when they're working with birds or how's it are they pretty rangy like a gsp i think it probably depends on the country they're brought up in and trained in and whatnot the sort of cover like any dog you know and thicker cover cattails and stuff he's working usually i'll keep him within 60 yards um open grassy country if i'm hunting huns or sharp tails he'll range out to you know 100 150 what's your advice think, on, on hunting sharp tails and huns because tyler and i are looking at doing this uh what's my advice cover a lot of ground <laughs> get a dog that can cover a lot of ground um man there were so many sharp tails in northern montana last year you you, you could point your gun in the sky and pull the trigger with your eyes closed and darn near hit one it was amazing to see the flocks of like 50 to 100 birds fly over oh wow and i don't know what i'm not i'm no wildlife biologist i don't know what uh the secret sauce was last year but the numbers were up last year anyway um but yeah i mean it's the perfect you guys run flushers or pointers Flushers. Flushers. Yep. That, okay. kind of, yeah. that kind of point, I guess. Cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the nice thing about both those birds is they're perfect for pointing dogs because they tend to hold, they're not, they're not a running bird like a pheasant. So, yep. uh, you know, especially for young pointing dogs, a covey of hunts puts off a fair amount of scent and they don't run, they hold. So nice. it's nice for that. Um, I mean, I think if you, find an area that has those birds it's just a matter of putting on the miles and um there's plenty of them around they tend to you know like anything they water a fair amount of cover in the right food crop russian olives tend to be a magnet for the sharp tails especially russian olives yeah it's a it's a non-native invasive species like a it ends up being a small tree but okay. they have little green olives as fruit and the birds just love them when you open a crop on a pheasant or a sharp tail in the fall they'll be stuffed full of those little green olives is that can you do you find those in outside of montana in sharp tail country like in south dakota or is it more just yeah. to montana 
No, I think North Dakota, South Dakota, I think generally in the West, they were, I, I don't quote me on this, but they were used a lot for like sh um, shelter belts and cover for, you know, for homesteads because they, they multiply pretty quickly and they, okay. and they cover a fair amount of um, area. So they used them to, as a fence row or hedgerow for homesteads essentially. And they just took off and they, the birds love them. Um, yeah, that's one of the of main those. ingredients. If, yeah. Yeah. They're pretty um, popular out here in the West. Nice. So now do you go out of state of Montana to hunt anywhere else uh, for upland game? Um, you not just mainly stay around that area. Yeah. Generally I'm in Montana, you know, up until just the last few years, I was also, archery hunting for elk in September and then a little hunting in October with the rifle and then maybe rifle hunting for elk if I didn't get one with a bow. So Montana has so much to offer that I didn't generally leave. Um, I've sort of hung up the bow and just now that I have two bird dogs, I'd rather just follow them in the field. So now that I'm focused fun, primarily <laughs> on upland, like last year I went to South Dakota. Yeah, it is fun. Yeah. <laughs> Last year I went I mean, to South Dakota. I, this year I think I'm going to go to Idaho chucker hunting. I uh, I used to do it all too. I used to bow hunt, turkey hunt, duck hunt, goose hunt, pheasant hunt, squirrel hunt, anything you think of. I was doing it. <laughs> and now the you know I'm 34 yeah. now, two kids, and it's like eh, I'll just take my weekend and go bird hunting with the dog and get out of the house and get some exercise instead of sitting in a tree stand and scouting. And just uh, obviously, if if I wanted to, yeah. I could make time to do it, but. Uh, it's not something I have a big passion for. Yeah, once kids enter the picture, you kind of have to get uh, a little more sp specific with <laughs> yes. how your time is spent. Yes, oh, as you can see, my youngest daughter made an appearance, stand. <laughs> appearance tonight. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she's a cutie. Um, yeah, sitting in a tree stand is a little... I mean, people do it with kids all the time, but it's, yep. you know, it's not quite as conducive as a stroll with the bird no. dog. Oh, for sure. No. And the kid, if they go with you, they're nice and tired when they get home. So they sleep. So you don't come home to a kid with a bunch of energy. And a dog with, and two dogs with a bunch of yeah. energy. Yeah. It, it, it's yep. good to wear everybody out. Yeah. That's right. Yep. So, so Eric, what are you, uh, what are you uh, missing these birds with these days? What are you shooting out there? I should have, <laughs> I can miss with just about anything. Uh, generally, I'm missing with a 12 gauge uh, Browning Satori. Oh, nice. That was a, that was a graduation present from my dad when I graduated high school. And that's what I've been shooting ever since. What a collector's item. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. Yeah. That is awesome. Yeah. Tyler, we can't hear you. Does it have uh, any engravings or anything on it, or? Um, no, just... it's just a pretty bare bones model. It's it's a workhorse. It's yeah. certainly like I've always just hunted with it in the duck blind and in the grouse woods, whatever. I it's it's got That's lots awesome. of scratches and dings, and but it's got a lot of memories too. Yeah, lots of stories my, behind it. I need my wife yeah. to talk to your dad on how to get. It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did that for all of us. That was pretty pretty cool that's really cool is yeah. there is there a lot of public ground out in montana or are you mainly hunting all private ground? Oh, so much so much public ground yeah really? that's almost all i hunt uh there you know they have a we have a block management program which is i think a lot of states have real similar under different names but essentially landowners get paid to 
let let hunters hunt. Um, and that's a really robust and popular program out here in Montana. So a lot of people hunt that uh, block management. But yeah, I mean, between BLM and national forest and state land, and we have, there's just so much public ground and so much of it is really good hunting that you can, you can uh, spend your entire fall just hunting public land and have a good season. When's, nice. uh, when's season open out there? Uh, second weekend of October, generally for pheasant upland, okay. like grouse and huns and whatnot are uh, September 1st. Oh, yep. So and when, then, so it's September 1st to January 1st, essentially you can upland hunt. So it's a shorter, a little bit shorter pheasant season than what we have. No, or no yeah. we're October it opens, 31st. It opens, it, yeah, that's right. It Never opens, mind. it opens two weeks earlier. So it's, yeah. about, it's the same. Yeah. yeah. When, uh. So if you were if you were looking to come out to Montana to do public land hunting, and obviously not hotspot, nothing like that, but where would you recommend like to go to to find some decent decent ground? Yeah, North Dakota, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that was a good response. That was a good response. Uh, <laughs> generally, the eastern half of the state, uh, anywhere east of Billings, north of North of Billings, east of Billings is kind of pheasant country. Where I live in Southwest Montana um, isn't generally considered great pheasant country, although there, there are places with a lot of pheasants, like Bozeman area has a lot of pheasants, but it's all private. Um, okay. So as far as access to good pheasant hunting, it's Northern Montana and Eastern Montana. Nice. Yeah. Otherwise That'd known be... as Western North Dakota. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be a good, interesting. It'd probably be a pretty long trek for us from Iowa all the way out to. Yeah, it'd be Montana, worth it though. I, I mean, two weeks fun. earlier to get on some wild birds. When yeah. do the when do the snakes disappear? After the first frost, so probably you know, second third week of September, they're probably certainly by the first of October, I, they're generally gone. So by the time pheasant season would open, they're probably. I say I say that, and they're probably going to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then I bring a dog out and gets bit. Oh, like <laughs> shit. <laughs> but yeah, so right. you would say probably... generally by pheasant season they're down. Generally, okay. there's been a, a freeze. Nice. Well, we might have to keep in contact with you so if we plan a hunt out there, we can ask you if it's. Yeah froze yeah, we'll, yet we'll use your we'll use your dog so they get bit <laughs> yeah they're already trained <laughs> yeah my dog my dogs know to stay away from them <laughs> yeah that's crazy yeah, I yeah think we don't i could see i could see tyler's dog murph would be all in on oh, it fuck. <laughs> it would not be good he got in a scuffle with a coon this year and man he's just like in a yeah i think it was well two coons but and he gets on the sentence. I think we did. You can't hear me? Oh, no, you're back. frozen. You're back. Okay. Yeah, I was saying he got in a fight with two coons this year, and he's just a fucking knucklehead sometimes. I don't know what to do with him. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, if he smelled a yeah, snake, had... he wouldn't stay away from it. I no. had Gus on a hike uh two two summers ago and it was almost mountainous not quite i guess it was a warm sunny area and he was up ahead of me and he came running back with his tail between the, his legs and there was something clearly wrong and i 
couldn't figure out what it was, but I walked around the corner and there was a rattlesnake coiled up in the middle of the trail and he had, he had turned and turned tail and run away from it. So the, the snake training worked anyway. And he's a real gamey dog. Like he'll, he'll roll a skunk every chance he gets, man. He'll (laughs) he'll attack any, anything that moves generally. He killed a gopher the other day. Well, that gives Uh, you some confidence. So that, yeah, certainly I think the snake training worked at least worked for him. Yeah. Did you do that at a super young age or how old were they when they go through that training? I do it in the first year. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Generally like nine months to a year old, I think. Yeah. You know, you know, what's going to happen now, Eric, Tyler's going to call me. He's going to be out searching for rattlesnakes this weekend. (laughs) (laughs) There are some places in Iowa that do have rattlesnakes. Not very many, but there are some around. I hope I never come across one, man. Those things are nasty little (laughs) buggers. Yeah. So what it what out of all the upland birds, what's your favorite one to chase? Pheasant, hands down. Yeah. Why is, I, why I is don't that? even have to think about it. I don't know. Uh I like how big and gaudy and loud and colorful and I, I like that they seemingly can outthink you, although I'm sure their brains aren't developed enough to actually think, but they're cagey. They uh can outsmart a dog and a human. I just like the uh, the versatility of them. I like, I don't know, I, everything about them. They're not predictable. So many of the upland birds that I could otherwise hunt, you can kind of predict a lot of things about them. But because yeah, like you said, they don't they don't run right. The, a lot of the other right. birds, which right. uh, Tyler and I have never really hunted before. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, around here, pheasants, man uh our last hunt of the year this year we saw god i don't know we saw 200 birds probably come away with one yeah they were just <laughs> they were getting up like 100 yards they were out. just getting up 100 yards out none were sitting still we had a coyote bust out uh the field in front of us scare a bunch up like it was just you know they, yeah. they make it challenging now if they were just a bird that sat there well i mean it'd still be fun yeah. don't get me wrong yeah but uh, yeah um, there's something about there. holding that big huge colorful bird in your hand after you shoot one too and the spurs and the tail i like it's it's the whole package and i know there's plenty of people that call them ditch parrots and that have little respect for them because of all the things that i just said but for whatever reason that's like that's what gets me all those all those things are what hook me on pheasants yeah and well, they're I, great they're great to eat oh they do <laughs> yeah. taste good and that color makes for some good pictures absolutely obviously you're in photography right yeah i'm a i'm a freelance photographer and filmmaker and a lot of what i do these days is is in the hunting realm so um uh, the most recent film i'm working hire you out yep yep i I work for i work for a number of different outdoor brands uh what i was gonna say is the most recent film that i'm working on right now i shot last fall uh, for pheasants forever and it's about pheasant hunting it's a, a story about um, bird dogs and the tradition of hunting and and the main character is from this area but grew up in South Dakota and um, goes back there to hunt some of the old haunts his dad used to hunt um, when he was a kid or that he used to hunt with his dad when he was a kid his dog it was his last last year was his dog's last season of hunting so he wanted to take him back to some of the places that he hunted with his dad. 
as a kid. So it was a really cool story. And I, and I got to combine my uh, passions of filmmaking and pheasant hunting, uh, which was super rewarding for me. So that one will be coming out in August, I think they're planning on. Oh man, um, super that is cool. super cool. Yeah, it be exciting. Yeah, yeah. Is it yeah, usually... and then the photography work is kind of all over, all around hunting as well. It's uh, kind of um, outdoor brand lifestyle photography. I do I do some editorial like magazine work as well, but more and more kind of the the brand um, marketing stuff. Um, so a lot more of my work has kind of gone the way of of pheasant hunting and outdoors and hunting in general, which has also been really fun because my my yeah. background is um, news, newspaper and magazine photography. So it's taken uh, I've been making a living with my camera for 20 years now. It's taken oh, almost wow. 20, 20 years to get to the point where I'm like photographing and making films about the things that I'm passionate about, which is pretty awesome to get there. That is very that is cool. awesome. Yeah. So what's it take for you to do a video for somebody? Like what's, what's the process of that pheasants forever reached out to you and said, Hey, we want a video of this guy or. No, that was one. It was my concept. I pitched to them and um, you know, like all these films that I do, I, I generally, I come up with the concept and I pitch to um, organizations or, or brands that I think would align well with it. So in that case, I knew Pheasants Forever would be a, an obvious choice. And I talked to them and they were interested in the story. And um, so they signed on as the main sponsor. That's very cool. That's and that's cool. got to be hard to, is it hard to film pheasant hunting, like good quality yeah. pheasant hunting? Yeah. Yeah. I think I've done a lot of filming for um, other brands and outlets in the in the big game world, but which I, I feel like is a lot easier yeah the, so the caveat being you get one shot you know yeah. for the <laughs> for the kill so if you miss that one shot you kind of blew up but whereas pheasant hunting you might get a dozen of those in a day um but that said there's so many moving parts you know the the peak action of the bird flushing and gun shooting is a fraction of a second so yeah if you're not dialed in then you kind of miss that but thankfully Man. you get multiple options multiple chances at it in a day ideally yeah. <laughs> And that's got to take forever to edit something like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, certainly. I, I filmed two years worth of shooting for that film. So I, oh, wow. I mean, last fall in South Dakota was kind of the finale of it. But prior to that, I was shooting him, you know, filming him training in the field, filming him hunting Montana the, the fall before, filming him in his homes with his dog, you know, so it's hours and hours and dozens of hours of film to wade through to distill it down to about a 10 minute film. That's crazy. It's a 10 minute film? <laughs> yeah. Oh. It, yeah. It'll wow. be roughly 10 minute. Yeah. Dang. So the, That's very the magic cool, is, yeah. Yeah. The magic is definitely in the editing because we've all seen movies or films that could have been edited tighter that, or should have been edited tighter that, you know drag on and lose your attention and done well uh it keeps your attention and keeps you through. so that's sort of the goal at least for yeah. me that when sounds this, like it's gonna be a cool film when is this launching yeah uh i'm not 100 percent, but they were talking about august leading up to this this hunting season so sometime you know late summer nice 
and it's called well if you want to spend four years uh if you want to spend four years uh filming two iowa boys i mean tyler and i'd be up for it (laughs) (laughs) as as many birds as i miss it's gonna take four years (laughs) (laughs) yeah well I don't live too there interesting. There was some missing life, involved so. in South Dakota in the South Dakota hunt too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's my life's life. not too interesting either. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, very cool. Yeah, well, and Eric- then the the next project I've got coming up is also around pheasant hunting. I'm gonna I'm starting a uh, a, a series like a YouTube series of um, upland hunting stories called Tailgate Tales. Oh, nice! Uh, this first, this, yeah, this first season will be pretty much all in Montana, with maybe a couple nearby states. But uh, each episode, I'll have a guest, someone who's in a creative uh, profession. Like I've, I've got a writer slash poet for one of the guests, a wildlife artist, a taxidermist, a upland taxidermist. So people who have some sort of creative bent. Um, so we'll get kind of get to know them in their studio or their um, writing cabin or whatever it is where they do their work. And then we'll go out in the field and hunt and talk about kind of how how the outdoors and hunting influences their art and that sort of thing. So it's a little different take on on upland hunting, which I'm really excited to, yeah. super cool. to get started. Have, have you ever uh, made contact with uh, Edgar Castillo Hunt Birds on Instagram? I, I follow him. I, I know of him just through Instagram. I've never talked to him, but yeah. So um, he's, he's wrote a lot of articles for like project upland magazine and whatnot. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. He'd be he might one. be a guy that you should reach out. He's, he's a very, we had him on our podcast a, a while back. Oh, and, nice. Okay. Um, he, he might be a good contact to reach out to for a good film. Yeah. That's a good uh, idea. He works at a, a gun shop. Uh, now he's retired and, okay. um, but he's very good at writing. Very good at writing. So nice. Might be a good contact. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that. Where do you, that where do you come up with your ideas from? Where Where's the stem from? Like that's something new that I've never heard about before. Is this all you? You got a You got a team with you, or how's uh, How's that? How's that work? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's all an attempt to get paid to do what I love. <laughs> so my motivation is like, how can I? how can I figure out a way to get paid to pheasant hunt or to go, to go hunting? Um, generally it's me, this, this tailgate tales was me and a friend were kind of spitballing ideas of, of a series. We wanted to do a series versus a standalone film, which is kind of my background is all either still photography or standalone film. This will be the first series I've done. Uh, we wanted to try something new and, and didn't want it to just be hunting porn wanted to have some other element to it rather than just blasting and um so it was just kind of a collaboration with this hunting buddy of mine who also is a filmmaker of like how can we do something different something unique something that's not been done or not been done well um so we'll see we'll see if we can do it well (laughs) there really isn't any good i mean the flush is you know that's pretty decent footage but i mean outside of that if you look on youtube i mean i haven't really found any good upland you know that's professional level i guess you could say you know um another guy that you might want to contact he's not much of an upland bird guy yeah. but alex Langbell. he uh 
he owns Gundog Outdoors, and he just moved to Montana. Hmm. Oh, yep. really? Yep. Yeah. Nice. Yep. And he has his own property and stuff. Super interesting guy. He was a fighter fighter. Um, his whole career just retired. Um, has taken on Gundog Outdoors full time. So he makes safety equipment for gun dogs and working, okay. just working working dogs in general. Uh, huge passion of his. So he'd be yeah. a really good one for you to get on. Oh, that's good to know. Do you? And do you he know has a media Montana background. Here? Right. Um, okay. He does have media background. I don't. Nice. No where. Oh, I don't. No, okay. he never specifically said. Um, yeah. Just oh, a, that's cool. Kind of a ranch. Yeah. Ranch out there. So. Yeah. So he used to shoot some videos of duck hunters as well. So he has that okay. media background too. So he'd be he'd be yeah. he'd know exactly how you know probably what you wanted and help you and yeah you know vice versa. So yeah. Sure. Yeah. It's a good super, idea. Super good. Super good contact. Good. Thanks. Right. Well, Eric, we appreciate you coming on. The podcast yeah it's great a lot of great awesome podcast. information oh my um, pleasure thanks for having me you like try to keep them right close to under an hour um but definitely super thankful and love to hear about your background and definitely look forward to the uh film being put out by fence forever and yourself for doing all that work for it and your series that's going to be coming out the tailgate tales so yeah, if, you, uh, if you're ever in iowa or coming this way let us know and we'll uh we'll put a hunt together for you Thanks. I appreciate it. I'm hoping uh, season two of Tailgate Tales, we can expand out from Montana and hunt some, you know, Iowa, Nebraska, Kansas, some of the surrounding states. So yeah, yeah ideally sure. we'll be coming That'd your be cool. way at some point in the future. Awesome. That'd be awesome. Well, let's keep in contact and uh, we look forward to seeing your media in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds good. Awesome. Thanks for Thanks, having Eric. me on, guys. Take care All of those boys, right. man. All right. Yeah, have a good night. Bye. Later. Bye.